The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Almost into the wall for Byron. It looks like William Byron bumped into Denny Hamlin and sent Hamlin spinning down through the grass here. Good grief, if he's mad about what happened off of two. You ran into him off purpose off turn four. I mean, obviously, yeah. I went to go show my displeasure. I didn't mean to, you know, hit him and uh, spin him out. Denny Hamlin clearly is upset. I guess we can just wreck each other under caution. I, I tried to wreck him back. I'll just add it to the list of, of guys when I get a chance. They're going to get it. Welcome to NASCAR America Motor Mouse. Nate Ryan here with Steve Letarte, Parker Kligerman joining us in Stanford. And some news this week, guys. Some penalties Why levied not? by NASCAR. Uh, in addition to what we just saw there, William Byron getting penalized for uh, spinning Danny Hamlin under caution. We also had Ty Gibbs getting penalized as well for a pit road incident. Uh, let's start out with your take on all of it, Stevie. Oh, where to start? Um, so... I think the best place to start is, do I believe there should have been a penalty for both what Ty Gibbs did on pit road by making contact with another car while a pit stop was going on and the contact between the 11 and the 24 under caution? I do. I do think that both uh, deserve some sort of penalty. Do I think the penalty that was enforced is accurate? I do not. So here's why. Both of these infractions happened during an event, during a race event. Neither caused any sort of penalty during the race, right? William Byron didn't lose spots. Ty Gibbs wasn't placed at the back of the field. So I am going to go under the couch. I'm going to couch this under, hey, they still should review the event after. And both are unsafe practices. If they feel that the 11 was spun under yellow flag, that's very important, right? And a contact on pit road while there's crew members, then it's more of a safety thing. So I love a monetary fine to the drivers. And say, hey, guys, you need to learn from your lessons. You can't be doing this. It's unsafe. We have safety workers. We have pace cars. We have all this stuff. But I just don't see where the points penalty comes in. We have to have post-event penalties for cars because cars can't be inspected thoroughly as much as everybody wants them to be. Mm-hmm. They just can't. You can't check every nut and bolt before the race starts. But these aren't car infractions. These are action infractions. So... I just, I just don't see the correlation between right. points and what happened on the racetrack. Whereas a car, you're talking about a performance-type situation. You earn more points because your car wasn't yeah. legal. Like but, you, 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 you performed better than you should have because you brought an illegal car to the racetrack. Yeah, this is a behavioral transgression, like one isolated incident. It doesn't affect performance necessarily. Parker, car- where, where do you fall on all that? Well, cars have hundreds of parts, as we know, so you, or thousands of parts even. And Nate, I'm just glad to see you still have two computers. I was getting worried for a second. But... <laughs> I think I'm with you, Steve, and I really just boil this down to a failure to officiate. Like, to me, that is what has happened here. You have, as you put it, actions that were done by drivers on the racetrack that put, you know, theoretically 
crew members in danger and potentially under caution, maybe marshals or whatever, safety workers, pace cars in danger. And so that is a major infraction. But they were also, you know, especially the one on the front stretch, just very visible, very visible. The whole sport is looking at that. We're all there located on pit road. I was on pit road behind another, a pit box and their crash cart. And I still saw Denny Hamlin come spinning through on the inside there and thought, well, how did that happen? Right? Like, wait, wait, what just happened there? So, you know, this this is the incident that led to that, right? Where William Byron and Denny Hamlin came off turn two, got very close. William felt like he got on the wall, you know, was raced unfairly for every reason. And then, obviously, we have this onboard footage now where you can clearly see the caution lights out. Rams in the back room spins Denny Hamlin through. And I just think, like you put, these are things that that have to be dealt with in the race because their actions in the race. If Denny Hamlin spins William Byron out right here under caution for as a retaliation to the time he's been spun out, then I'm pretty sure there would have been some sort of move from NASCAR at that point, right? You would have seen that. So I just, I'm struggling to understand how the largest auto racing sanctioned body in the United States doesn't see a car spinning through the front stretch or doesn't see the result or doesn't act quick enough within the race. That's my problem. Well, so I... I so I will, I will couch it as this. I do agree with Parker saying that, that you know, they should be handled in, in, you know, as part of course of the action. But I also think that NASCAR has the ability in, in the manner of safety to react on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever they have to, because they have so much more information. They have all this driver data. They have all these cameras. They have all this stuff. Now, I don't want them to start officiating uh, green flag racing. There's a rare instance where they need to get involved. We saw Noah cross that line at Road America. I think it was obvious, right? Most of the time, though, I like the drivers to handle it because that's what the fans come out for, and that's what they deserve, Mm -hmm. to see drivers disagree about a couple inches of asphalt. That's what racing is all about. Where I get very sensitive is I was once a guy that jumped over that pit wall, right? Like, Like there are men and women up and down pit road that have to turn their back, and I just feel that the carelessness of drivers going up and down pit road needs to be highlighted. And mistakes happen, but we have seen it in an Xfinity race earlier where there's cars where they penalize somebody and say, hey, man, you got to give the crew some space. I believe it was the nine at Atlanta, if my memory serves me correctly. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing about what happened between the 25-4 and the 11 on the front stretch. I'll go as far as to say, say the 24 didn't mean to. Let's just hypothetically say we don't believe he did it on purpose. I'm still okay with a monetary fine. Because I want the drivers to be like, hey, I don't care if you meant to or not. Pay attention. We're under you. You get my point. My point is, yeah, yeah. is there are people who have volunteered their time to get this track back in a raceable condition. We, the sport, TV, drivers, NASCAR, we owe it to these men and women. Like, like a major amount of precision and, and, and space and safety. and You know what I mean? So that's where, for me, it's just a safety type thing. And to the point about officiating, it, it frustrates me that it can't happen during the event, right? Like, I think that that would make it much cleaner um, because then you could actually, and don't get me wrong, that still doesn't change a Tuesday penalty. <laughs> Say they would have put William Byron at the back. Yeah. And then came out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and said, and we're going to find the money. I'm even okay with that. We see this in other sports all the time. Hey, there's a hit in a football game. There's a flagrant foul in the NBA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We are going to have an in-race penalty or an in-game penalty, but don't think you're off the hook. You may hear from us later in the week. But I think the difference there, Stevie, is that in this case, the penalty on Tuesday effectively changed the score in that's, the way of the race. Yes. And, that's and my that's problem. That's the important discrepancy here, you know, versus, you know, the NFL, you know, Kyle Petty said this on the NASCAR NBC podcast this week. 
The NFL might look at game tape from Sunday on Monday and say, oh, we missed that holding call, we missed that offsides. Right, but, but they don't retroactively go back and enforce those penalties because you can't. The game's already been played. If you miss the call, it's in the past. Well, you and at, I had this point. degree. So first, let's start with Danny Hamlin. Yeah. If we feel he was the one offended. We had this conversation right, earlier. Right, like, well, right. what about him? And I'm like, well, Nate, what about him? That's too bad. That's sports. Like, I'm sorry, but it, I, don't, it, I know it's not fair. It doesn't matter if it's fair. Sports aren't fair. Right. right? Like, it's right. unfortunate, but you can only penalize the offender. You can't then assume what happened to the one being offended. Oh, well, we're going to give him a spot back. You don't know. We don't know what could have happened. Right? You just can't do that. Uh, to the point penalty, think about this. William Byron was fined 25 points. Playoff points, regular points, they're all together now. That's like taking away. That would be like saying taking away five regular season wins. That's 25 playoff points, which is this same bucket now. So, so this is just an astonishing penalty, in my opinion, for the action that happened on the racetrack. So good with the penalty being established, not good with what the, the size of the penalty was. Yeah, uh, I believe that we also have some sound. Kyle Larson addressed this on SiriusXM as well today, talking about how he felt as if maybe both sides were in the wrong here. So let's uh, take a listen to what Kyle Larson had to say on SiriusXM today. 25 points was pretty extreme, and if NASCAR would have just you probably done their job uh, in the moment and, and whatever that may have been, you'll put him to the tail on the longest line, even penalize him a lap, um, he would have overcome that, and it wouldn't have been a 25-point or 25-position loss. You know, he wouldn't have finished probably where he did, but he wouldn't have finish better than than what the 25 points is so i think that's that's a little bit wrong you know they both you know made mistakes william made a mistake and and nascar i feel like in the end you probably made a bigger mistake by claiming that they missed it um so i think if if they would have done their jobs a little bit better you know it all would have just gotten handled in the moment and and, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be on wednesday looking at a 25 point penalty all right, those are, the thoughts of, those are the thoughts of Kyle Larson today from the SiriusXM NASCAR's The Morning Drive. So essentially, maybe three wrongs don't make a right is kind of what he's saying there, Parker. Is that maybe the way uh, to sum it up? 100%, Nate. And I think this goes back to something that's always been a principle of NASCAR that, you know, I think as we go into next-gen era, it's sort of changing. But if you look back for, you know, decades, you didn't take away the win from a, a team or a car because you didn't want the fans to leave the racetrack not knowing who the winner was, right? That was kind of the ideology behind some of the decision-making about how post-race tech worked and midweek penalties and that sort of thing. And I think what we're just blending into is almost letting these weekends and the race results blend into the week. And that's what I have a problem with. I I agree. I think, you know, that's something that we're discussing right now because it's blended into three days later from the race where you said it's changed the score. It's changed the results of the race. So... It's just really, I think, you know, muddied everything in terms of walking away from a race on a Sunday and thinking you know what's happened and then completely changing that later on when it's an action that happened within the race. As as Steve said, cars are different. That's totally different. But for comparing to other sports, this is just unprecedented that you would have this massive a penalty assessed and score change midweek. I I don't know how to explain that one in that sense. And so I do believe, yes, I do believe this is a mistake after several mistakes. So, Parker, the only thing I will add is I thought Kyle Larson had a very reasonable explanation, and I like what he had to say about losing a lap or whatever it may be. But I just want to just add the caveat, though. 
I'm still okay with a financial repercussion happening later because it doesn't affect the event. 100%. Because, I'm with because you. if they say, hey, we took a penalty, we took a lap away because that's what we felt was right in the action. But in hindsight, when we had hours to, to dissect your camera, your throttle inputs, and everything you chose to do as a race car driver, we also want you, William Byron, the one who made this action, you're going to feel it in the wallet as well, right? And that yep. way, listen, it, was, it would have been a byline today. It would have been serious. We'd have had a conversation about it, but it wouldn't have changed the, the event itself. It would have perhaps just changed where poor William Byron might go on vacation at the end of the year. <laughs> it's made a little bit, uh, little bit less money in his pocket. All right, we're going to take some phone calls here and ask our American Motor Mouse. Always interested in the fans' opinions. Let's go and start with Bobby in New Jersey. Bobby, welcome to the program. Hey, guys, how's everything going? Good. Good. All right, so first of all, how does NASCAR not see a car spinning on the front stretch? It's right in front of them. And they got so many camera angles that they can watch to start with. And my other question is, how is this any different than what Kyle Busch did to Ron Hornaday back in 2011 in the truck race where he practically just ran him into the wall? And Kyle Busch ended up parked the rest rest of the weekend. Right. Good questions, Bobby. I'll answer. Yeah, those are good questions, Bobby. I'll answer the first one or the last one first. And the difference to me is Kyle Busch hit Ron Hornaday Jr. in the right rear at like 160 miles an hour or something. Well, well, I'll also add that, that, you know, 11 years ago, like there's only so many precedents you can have. Like at some point you have to kind of move on with new cars, new TV, new ideas, new concepts. I I hear him. It's It's a reasonable comparison. But between both your point and it was 11 years ago, and I think things can change. Now, why or how can NASCAR say? I do want to say the job that the officials in the tower have asked to do in today's racing, I think, is more complicated than ever. We have chooses. We have wave buys. We have, like, like the race and how the race runs has never been more complicated. So I have empathy for the people in the position of trying to operate the race that has never been harder to operate. The counter is... We have a system that can tell me that a car hit a line on pit road three pit stalls away or that a crew member's foot touched the asphalt when the car was a stall away. So you there are HD cameras all over pit road. So you can't have it both road. ways. Yeah, right. That's, that's as simple as I'm going to say. I have the same frustration that Bobby has because you can't have it both ways. You can't have something so well officiated as pit road is. And it's amazing. That system is amazing. And allow the rest of it to be... So, you know, haphazardly officiate. Like, yeah. you have to be consistent. Well, that's what I struggle with too, Parker, that you can identify a tire violation in the pits, but yet this is something that happens on the track in plain sight, and obviously we replayed it many times during an eight-live caution, and somehow that gets overlooked. Does, does NASCAR maybe have too much going on? Do they need to maybe look at restructuring how they do things there? Cameras, officials, more of them. I don't know what it is, right? Yeah. But I, 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 as Steve said, I have empathy for what they're having to do with the, you know, the complexity of the way we race these days, which in that there is so many more rules and things, obviously, to help the show. And so they're trying to manage that the best way possible. But when there's, you know, fundamentals like this, which is the idea of one competitor wronging another in a safety violation under caution, I just feel like that is something you, you can't miss. You just... This is, I said it before, this is the largest sanctioned body uh, in the United States in auto racing. Like, this is, this is the, the top of the top. And, you know, this is to say, to not 
have a response or to miss something on track amongst the 36 cars that are out there is just unacceptable, in my opinion. So, obviously, there has to be some sort of change, some sort of development from here to say, okay, how do we not let this happen again? Because, you know, you can have it happen once, that's a mistake, twice is a problem, right? So, we really have to, and the sport has to look at, do you need more officials? Do you need more cameras? Do you need access to the cameras? Do you need another person that's looking at cameras? Whatever it is, you just can't miss something like this. As I said, I was on pit road behind a pit box and a safety cart, and I still saw Danielle spinning through the grass. So, like, come on. I got the worst view possible, and I still saw it. So, now, the one thing I do want to put out there, as a guy who's in the booth charged with trying to cover everything that happens, I miss stuff in, in every race. There's so much going on. That's the challenge of it, right? And we have directors, producers, and cameras, and all kinds of people talking in our ears. We, we saw the 11 spin, but we didn't even have a great view of it. The highlight we keep showing is the new NASCAR in-car camera, right? Well, that system is so new, we don't have it at NBC. The tower doesn't have it. Scott Miller has total. It's that. So, so here's all I will say is this. I'm a huge golf fan. And as technology improved, golf got ruined when every fan with a camera and everybody on Twitter became an official. And we're going to talk about the club touching the grass, touching the sand, touching this, touching that. Uh, it, 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 was, it, it ruined the game for me. So I will just put the little asterisk that we have this emphatic video on board with the 24 running over the 11. We at NBC didn't have it that I know of, and nor did the tower. Now, is that excusable? Does the system need to change? That's a different conversation. I just want to yeah. make sure everybody knows, when we show this right here, I was not able to see that footage from my per. You know, well, that would have been great information to I, have. I, I didn't. Have. I think here's the problem with the disconnect here is within minutes of the incident happening on the NASCAR Twitter account, NASCAR's there, social there. media channels, they tweeted out that video. And all of the fans, you know, as Parker well knows, as a, as a digital, digital guy, everybody on NASCAR.com has access to those in-car right. cameras now. It's a relatively new technology because of the mm-hmm. next-gen car. All the cars now are equipped with in-car yeah. camera capability. So fans are able to see this. It is delayed. It is delayed. Which is a huge shot at currently. Yeah, and it's a huge plus for the sport. It's a huge plus for the content, content. for the competitors, everything. Awesome stuff, and it's I love it for this exact purpose. You know, either live being able to watch it on NASCAR.com or the idea that you have these different vantage points of things that happen later in the week, but. This does seem like something that if they can't see that or they don't have access to that or they, you have a person who's obviously maybe their job is to simply, when an incident happens, go to those two cars on board cameras and look at them, right, and cut Correct. them and Correct. send them to the tower. Bam, there you go. Solved, right? Like that's the act, we have the tech. Now it's about facilitating the work process to get it in front of the tower. Right. No, I don't disagree with Parker. I just thought yeah. that needed to be pointed well, out because we, we, it's only been around a couple weeks, and I have used it at the racetrack. It is remarkably delayed from what is happening. Like, <laughs> like laps, laps behind. Don't yeah. think that they're going to yeah. get it in fight. Like, yeah. technology is great until it doesn't work, right? Welcome to But what Wi-Fi. you're saying, I think, has credence. Like, it, it, it essentially ruined golf for you that, like, fans Killed were calling it. violations. If, if fans have access to, you know, through this content, what's happening on the track before NASCAR does in the tower or the broadcast partners do broadcasting the race, that seems like something that needs to be addressed. So, so sure. I don't know the answer. Um, you know, golf basically finally said, hey, we're going to officiate it. Don't, then we're not going to go off anybody's sending in new information. Uh, I, I don't know the answer for NASCAR, but I will say that, you know, I don't want to have to check my Twitter feed from the booth to, to you know, see what. <laughs> You're on Twitter less enough as it is. Hey, well, that's hey, my, I guess that's my point. Is, <laughs> yeah. is hey, Steve. I, I love, to Parker, to your point, yep. it's great content. 
But I wanted me entertainment content, not officiating content. <laughs> I, I hear you on that. And I, I, I want to go down that path just with the fan, you know, uh, you know, policing there that we had. You've talking about golf. Do you remember about four, what was it, four years ago, five years ago? When we had the fans that were finding photos of tape on spoilers and so on and body exactly. designs. Yeah. And Las it was Vegas whole, 2018. And like, it, but what Kevin happened, Harvick right? essentially got penalized because of what social media kind of uncovered, right? I mean, and I was, am, I'm just as happy as Steve that we don't do that. So, yeah, you know, like avoiding that path because so I think that just opens a whole other can of worms. Great technology, Parker, right? It's relatively yep. new. I'm thankful we pushed it out to the fans because we're always trying to be on the front. But let's not then now criticize that, well, we shouldn't have it if they don't have it. Well, do you yeah. want it or don't you want it? Let's just, let's just celebrate what we have and just all say, uh, look, I'm selfish. I want it on the TV side, and I'm sure the officials want it, right? There's going to be more to this story. Before we leave this discussion, I just want to revisit what you said about Denny Hamlin. Because as you said earlier, we were having this discussion. And I feel like as if, well, there's two things I think to discuss on the 11. One is he essentially tried to do to William Byron. William Byron did to him under caution. There was no penalty for Denny Hamlin essentially trying to hit Byron under caution. But also, I still feel as if he was the big loser here. And that he should have been in second place until he got spun out under yellow. And he essentially had a chance of maybe winning that race taken away from him. But as you said, you feel like it, because it's in the rhythm of the race, it's in the flow of what happened, those are the breaks, right? Don't, don't equate equal with fair, as you always say. Yeah, man, fair and equal are two very different things, right? Yeah. Everybody should be treated fairly, but every situation is not equal. Everyone's not equal. You know what I mean? Like fair. We all should expect fair. Fair is the key. Officiating, sports. Fair. And, and I think, to your point, yeah, Denny Hamlin should be super upset. And they yeah. should be bad. They lost the spots. But how do you go to Tyler Reddick and say, well, I know he spun out, but we're just going to put him back in front of you. <laughs> what do you mean you got to put him back in front of me? He spun out. I mean, think of Marcus. Was it Marcus Ambrose or A.J. Ambrose yep. that couldn't? It was nope. Ambrose. You're thinking Robbie. Well, yeah. Ambrose at Sonoma when he, he Sonoma. shut the old motor so, up. So you yep. can't. You just can't say but if X wouldn't have happened, then Y, no, no, no yeah. ifs. There are no, you cannot, you cannot, the, what makes sports spectacular, why we all watch it and why I cover it, is because it is the last real reality TV. There is no script. Like, I'm sorry that he was wronged. And if you're a Daddy Hamlin fan, you should be irate and go buy a Hamlin hat that says you hate William Byron. That's okay. Yeah. But you can't give. Anytime I hear give, I don't like the word give in sports. And I think just to add on to the Ambrose discussion, you know, this precedent, I just think back even to what Montreal of Robbie Gordon was at 07 who got spun out on a caution and wanted to get his place back. Like NASCAR has made it very clear for a very long time. If you want to talk about consistency of calls, if you do not hold your position and, and keep a reasonable pace and distance to the cars in front of you, you do not reserve that spot under caution, no matter why or how it happens. And I think yeah. that has been something they've been very consistent about. And I know as a competitor, you know, having been in those positions, I've had those heart-stop moments where the engine won't refire as I'm trying to save fuel. Or I've, you know, been in an awkward position of trying to rejoin in after having to slow for a wreck. And it's just that's been a very consistent thing for them that they're not going to police that in any other way than if you don't hold that position, it's not yours. And I think that's a good thing. All right, let's take another uh, phone call on NASCAR American Motor Miles. Let's go to Dick in Florida. Welcome to the program, Dick. Hey, uh, guys, I'm a first-time caller. I enjoy your show. Uh, I just want to make a remark that when the 24 took the 22 up against the wall at Darlington, uh, the 22 took care of it on track, and there was nothing said about it afterwards. NASCAR, nobody, you guys talked about it a few days afterwards, and it was all taken care of. 
Yeah, it's great. First of all, Dick, if you're down in Florida, we hope you're safe yeah, and yeah, your family safe. and uh, some crazy stuff happened in Florida with that storm. So that's a good point. And, and I think that's where it goes back to our original discussion. I don't like officiating under green, and that's what, what Dick is referring to is at Darlington. There was a restart where William Byron kind of ran Joey Logano up, in Joey's opinion. Joey got in the fence. He ran the 24 back down and just kind of shoved him out of the way to win Bunch the race. Yeah. That's racing. That's NASCAR through and through. That's what it should look like. The issue I have, and this goes back to all of the penalties and everything, safety should trump everything. And I believe under green, the drivers should be prepared to wreck. They wear their safety equipment. You do all that stuff. Under caution, and Parker, you're a driver, so I'd ask you, you know, if you're ever going to loosen your belts to adjust something, safety, like just when the, when the field goes under yellow, it is a moment of time that I think we are no longer competing for a moment. Like, like let's just hold on. Like, like we can't, you know, the competition is still happening. Mm-hmm. You can still gain and lose spots, but there shouldn't be a, anyone endangered in those situations. So I think Dick brings up a great point. Flip this. If they take the green and the 24 ships the 11 going into turn one, he backs fair, in the fence. Fair play, right? I'm like, hey, man. Yeah. No problem. Welcome to NASCAR. That's you know, like, like, like That's I, why we got I, bumpers, baby. Let's go. You know? I, you know, like, I hate to say it that way, <laughs> but that, that is the essence of what NASCAR has always been around. Right. I've always been taught, and I want to ask our guest Christopher Bell, who's going to be on here in a little bit, about pit road and under caution because that's what i'm seeing here what nascar is saying hey guys under caution pit road we're sick of all this silly business i think and you brought up a good point which is that drivers you know when we go under caution it is a timeout in a lot of respects for us at least in terms of thinking you're you know possibly in danger safety wise i know myself personally i loosen my belts all the time right when the caution comes out because you know i've been so going to put down the seat i'm working so hard on a green and then eventually you get that respite of a caution all right loosen up the belts a little bit take a drink of water whatever it is right that's sort of what we do under those conditions and then you might get a little bit more serious as you go down pit road because that's once again a competition element right going down pit road under caution still can gain or lose positions but when you're riding around there just behind the pace car that's really sort of a signal to be you're okay so i think that's definitely why Doing this under caution has always been sort of a no-no, right? Running into another car, having retaliation under caution. I can think to Carl Edwards and Dale Jr. at uh, the Xfinity race in 2008, I want to say, 2006 maybe, at Michigan where he yeah. you know, spun out and, and Carl Edwards came up and knocked into his right left side and he had his hand out the window, right? Like that was a big right. no-no That's because he was riding around just chilling. So I think this is why you draw that line, and to Dick's point – you know, that was racing at Darlington. No matter what, you know, you might disagree or be a Logano fan or a William Byron fan and not like how it happened, but that's racing. And fenders are on the cars, and that's no problem. But under caution is where it just they've always drawn the line of saying that's where we run into an issue of safety, and you just can't go down that path. You can't do anything. You don't want to endanger people more than, you know, drivers sign up for the risks under green. Yeah. That driver code etiquette that we always talk about on the show. It'd be great to have a driver on here. You just teased it. Hey. Christopher Bell is going to be joining us. So when we come back on the other side here, NASCAR America Motormouse, we'll talk to Christopher Bell. There he is, driver of the number 20 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We are going to change this sport. Trackhouse battling for the lead. Daniel Suarez is drawn even with Ross Chastain. It's the ultimate dream is what I'm living right now. My only thing is win race and championships, so, and that one is up to me. Kyle Busch enters the Coca-Cola 600 race week without a contract. Nothing happens. Am I okay just to walk away? Yeah, I am. The is not doing anything. Yeah, we might crash. That race for the championship, the NASCAR docuseries tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern on USA. All about all the NASCAR drivers in the playoffs, and we are joined by one of those drivers now, Christopher Bell. Christopher, you were the hottest driver, I think it's fair to say, in the first round. Uh, you go into Texas with a ton of momentum. Unfortunately, you come out below the cut line, 29 points down after uh, some tire problems there. What's the mood been like to go from, hey, you had the, probably the best three races you could have without a win, and now you go into Talladega feeling maybe a little bit not as much momentum? Yeah, talk about absolutely devastating. You know, after the the first round, we were so excited about Texas. Uh, and even before the playoffs started, Texas was, um, you know, looking like it was going to be a good race for us. Intermediates have been really good for Joe Gibbs Racing and the Toyotas in a, as a whole. Uh, Texas being a very high-speed place was definitely a track that we had circled um, to run well at. And uh, we were on pace to have a good day before we uh, ran into those issues. So, see, Bell, I hate to um, continue to bring you back to the rearview mirror, but we talked about Texas. Um, big penalties this week. I'm not going to put you on the spot and get your opinion on the penalties, but I am going to put you on a spot as a superstar in the sport when you see penalties assessed to drivers. Right? This isn't a car. This isn't something that would fall under the crew chief's area. Do you reach out to NASCAR? Do you make it a point this week? How is it communicated just so you understand, uh, you know, maybe what the boundaries are or aren't? How does that work moving forward for one of NASCAR's stars? Yeah, I would say that uh, for me, I'm not going to be going to to NASCAR and asking any questions. So uh, it's going to be about making sure that I stay cool, calm, cool, and collected inside the car. And, uh, you know, from William's standpoint, I saw that he didn't mean to spend spend Denny out, and I'm sure it was just bad timing on Denny lifting and, and William catching him kind of going up the racetrack. So uh, just, yeah, just trying to avoid that. Uh, obviously, that's huge Im- or impact on the, the point standings. So um, got to make sure you keep your head about you for sure. I want to just dive back to Texas as well in terms of what happened to you there with the tire issues. That became a theme as well in this race. Did you have, like, warning at any time? Have you talked to your team as, about this since then and sort of, you know, started to understand what's been going on with tires and, and those failures you guys had and sort of saying, like, you know, hey, is this something we're doing? Is it the tire? Did you have warning from them? What has been the discussion post what happened to you guys at Texas? Yeah, so, Parker, we have had tire problems earlier on in the season. I, I look back at California, I blew a left rear. Uh, Kansas, I also blew a left rear. And then throughout the summer, it, it seemed like we were able to dial in our, our setup package or whatever was going on to cause those flat tires. And we really didn't have any more issues until we went to uh, Bristol. And then at Bristol, I had a flat right rear there at the end of the race. 
And then I had two more flat right rears at, at Texas. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what's causing that. And, and talking to Adam, my crew chief, uh, after we had the first flat right rear at Texas, he, uh, he went up on air pressure um, thinking that that was the issue. And then we lost another right rear within a couple laps. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the cause is. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, distraught teams across the board. Um, I wasn't the only one with flat right rear issues. But, yeah, as far as a warning, you know, I did get a vibration moments before the tire blew. Uh, and then, fortunately, the, the right rear blew the first one down the, down the front straightaway, so I was able to kill enough speed before I got to the corner. Um, but, yeah, just very strange and, and disappointing to cost us a, you know, or put us in a really bad spot. Well, enough looking back. Let's look ahead. Uh, to ride or to push? That's going to be the question all the playoff drivers are going to have to answer, and they're going to probably have to answer at each lap, each stage, each restart. So let's start with uh, you, then to 20 team below the cut line. Do you sit back and hope some of the leaders come to you with, with misfortune, or do you go out there and make them uncomfortable by trying to lead laps and score points in the stage? What's the strategy heading into Talladega? Well, I can tell you going into the round of 12, our plan was to run well at Texas, score some points, and then absolutely survive Talladega. Uh, but with that being said, it, it didn't work out. And now we're going to have to go to Talladega and uh, attempt to score as many points as we can. So it, it, I don't know. Super Speedways have not been good to the 20 group um, this year or last year. So uh, maybe things will turn around for us. But the only thing that we can do now is go out and try and score as many points as we can. So talk to me about how you do that, because I'm really curious about how super speedway racing has been evolving over this year. We've seen where track position has become incredibly important. We're not riding up in a line as much. And do you sense that as like that you have to fight to stay up front nowadays because it's maybe just a little harder to get through the pack? And so does that make your job harder in trying to score those points? Yeah, I... Honestly, Parker, I can't really answer that because for me, I, I've crashed out so early <laughs> in so many of the Speedway races that I, I don't really have a feel of how they've been going. But um, with that being said, we should qualify well if we get to qualify. Um, our car, I won the pole at Talladega earlier in the season, um, so that was good. And uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is trying to get with our teammates and, and work together. It seems like when I've had the most success at speedway races is whenever we can just trust our group, do our own thing, and, and stay committed to each other. Uh, that way you're not the one getting hung out whenever we come racing uh, at the end of the stages. Well, a lot of questions about Talladega, Christopher. I think we've got one on uh, the line for you as well. NASCAR American Motormouths welcomes James. James, you're on with Christopher Bell. Hey, Christopher. Uh, how are you doing today? Hey, James. Hey, how's it going? Um, I wanted to ask you, um, since your two cup wins came on uh, two distinctively different tracks, uh, what have you learned going into Talladega that could help you win your first uh, super speedway race? Yeah, so, you know, one thing that I, I think I've learned across my two wins is uh, just being there at the end of the races, both at Daytona Road Course and at Loudoun, uh, I, I did not dominate the race by any means. And, and you know, that was a, a big reason of why I was able to win was just being the best at the right moment and, uh, and, and surviving, getting to the end of the race and having the, the best car at the end of the race. So with that being said, you know, I can take that mentality going into Talladega. Uh, and, and, but unfortunately, everybody already knows that, right? So 
Um, the biggest thing is going to be making sure that you see the checkered flag. And uh, whenever the white flag flies, you still got to make sure you got another two and a half miles in you. So um, we all know how the, the speedway races are, and seeing the end of those things are, are extremely difficult. Yeah, best laid plans work well until you get to the end of 500 miles when you do everything right, and then it's the still end. under your control. The end. I would say the first lap <laughs> yeah, of 500 <laughs> miles is where the plans go out the window every time I've been there. Uh, <laughs> let's stay on the line and take another phone call about Talladega. Let's go to Marvin. Marvin, welcome to NASCAR American Motor Mouse. Thanks, Nate. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. And uh, may I just say it's an honor to be chatting with you, buddy. Yeah, you too. So, uh, Chris, we're heading to Talladega Super Speedway, one of my favorite tracks in all of uh, NASCAR. My question for you is, what are you hoping to accomplish this weekend that you didn't get to accomplish last weekend at Texas Motor Speedway? Yeah, so so that's a good question. And uh, that's probably one that myself and Adam Stevens and this entire 20 group need to ask ourselves going into the race. You know, what's our goal? Obviously, we want to win. And if the opportunity presents itself, we're going to darn sure take it and, and go for the win at the end of the race. But uh you know, what are we going to be okay with? Do we want to, um, you know, try and get closer to that zero number on the bubble? Uh, I, I think so. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is just getting ourselves in position to where we have a shot at fighting to transfer come the Charlotte road course. And uh, definitely going into the Charlotte road course minus 20, um, it, it doesn't give us much of a chance. So I think we need to close that number up to maybe – Minus 10, minus 5 would be a, a great goal for us. Uh, and, and, you know, then we're going to have to go out there and fight our guts out at the Charlotte Road Course, which notoriously hasn't been a great track for Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, I've had a couple good runs there and, and a couple good road course races this year. But uh, to say that we're, you know, looking forward to the Charlotte Road Course is, is not something that I would say is true. Hey, real quick. Christopher, I just was thinking as I listened to you talk about going for points and sort of a global scale, right? You want to score points. But how do you race some of the playoff contenders you're up against? Like if you're coming down to a stage end and you're racing two or three of your playoff contenders and you realize I could score more points if I go with this lane versus that lane, is that going through your head at those times? Or are you just thinking best finishing position, we'll sort the points later? How, how do you go about that in those moments? Um. Well, I mean, the fact that we're going to Talladega is obviously a different style race than going to Texas or a, or a road course. And with that being said, if, if I have the opportunity to hang a fellow uh, playoff driver, I, I guess that would be an advantage to me. Um, but with that being said, I, I just have to go there and make sure that I'm not the one getting hung and, and I'm the one seeing the points at the end of the stages and, and you know, getting the finish, that, the best finish that we can at the end of the race. So, uh, yeah, I don't foresee myself racing the playoff guys any different than uh, than I would any other week. Just got to try and maximize our weekend and get out of there with a, a, a good day. You know, I think if we survive the race, uh, we're going to have a shot at it at least. All right. Well, we certainly wish you luck in having a better race than you did at Texas, and we really appreciate you joining us here on NASCAR American Motor Miles. Good luck this weekend, Christopher. Thank you. All right. When we come back on NASCAR America Motor Mouth's other side, we'll wrap up talking about Texas and look ahead to Talladega. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talladega Super Speedway, a 2.66 mile super speedway. Plenty of room to fan out two and three and four wide. Right, Talladega Super Speedway, the chaos this Sunday on NBC. The last six races of the season, Stevie. I love it. Consistent and easy to do. Wake up, have a little breakfast, right about lunch, just turn it on to NBC. You can watch a race, then hang out for Sunday Night Football. That's a pretty good day of sports. And then when you, if you want to catch up on your post-race action, tune over to Peacock. Nice. We're going to have extended post-race coverage over on uh, Peacock to break down exactly who's sad and who's happy leaving each playoff race, because there's always somebody on both sides of the fence. <laughs> Probably have a little bit of both yeah. coming out of Talladega. Very love, few in the middle. Very love few post-race <laughs> shows on Peacock. Love them on IndyCar. Going to love them on NASCAR as well. Uh, Parker, looking ahead to Talladega, I mean, you were just asking Seabell about it there. The playoff drivers and maybe how they approach this race and how do you approach it, I guess? You know, we heard a playoff driver there talking about, like, do I hang a guy out? Do I stay with him? I mean, there's going to be some real moral choices to make, I'm sure. I think it's a discussion for all of them. You know, you have guys like Joe Logano, who's historically been a put-me-up-front. I'm going to fight all day, and if I end up, you know, if I wreck from the front, at least I was up front, right? And it's, to him, the safest place there is, and I think those teams are going through discussions. I had a funny conversation with him and Paul Wolf this past weekend at Texas just talking about Talladega and I was like, well, you're really good at super speedway racing. He said, yeah, except I've lately been wrecked a lot. So I don't know if I'm doing it exactly the right way. And I think that's, you know, for super speedway racing, it's just, it takes skill. It takes a, a, a positive mental attitude to go into it, as you see Joe Logano getting wrecked here in Talladega in April. Uh, but it also, you know, it, yes, there's luck involved. And so it's just this weird mix that it changes depending on the race. And I like to think of these races as being sort of like having a, a, you know, being living, breathing things. They take their own direction. They take their own form sometimes. And you just have to read the race correctly. And I think for the playoff drivers, you have to do all the things that you normally do to try and be successful at a super speedway and put yourself in position to win. But then also be doing that math, be counting the points, be understanding where you are and sort of maybe even going in with a strategy and sticking to it. So it's just, it adds a whole other dynamic that I don't think you really get, you deal with in super speedway racing unless you're in their position. And it just, it's, it's not like it changes any of what's difficult about super speedway racing. It's all those same things, but now with this added bit of pressure and sort of calculation that has to go on at the same time. And Steve, I know for the pit box and for teams, like you, you always say as a crew chief, like, all right, once they start the motor and ship them, good luck. You know, like that sort of thing in super speedway a little bit, but it also, you have to do sort of your work preemptively to say, here's our plan, here's what I want you to do in these positions, and that sort of thing. You have to lead, and I think that's the thing that, and I mean lead from the pit box. I think the crew chief needs to help dictate. It's very easy for drivers to get out there in the pack in the chaos of Talladega and let the chaos kind of consume you. Right. And next thing you know, if you're supposed to hang back, next thing you know, you're three wide in the middle. <laughs> and if you're supposed to lead, you're checking your mirror and you're like, I want to get out of here. Like, Whatever the plan is, try to execute it. 
And if we have to change the plan, that's fine. But me and my driver have to be on the same plan. If he's working his guts out, trying to keep track position, I can't nonchalantly call the race. I need to be calling it like we need track position. Short on fuel, two tires, no tires, up front, do everything I can do. Parker said something there that gets completely overlooked at Talladega. Skill. So, look, your opportunity to finish is a bit random at times. Whether you get caught up in the wreck or not caught up in the wreck, I believe, unless you were the guy creating the wreck, sometimes it's just bad luck. But, assuming you are running at the end of this race, those who win these races and those who have a chance year after year, race after race in the trioval, that is skill. That isn't luck. These guys aren't changing lanes, luckily, hoping they get a little push. This, this is a calculated move. Now, the wreck, I, I, some of that. Now, they, there's a little more driving than people think when you try to miss the wreck at times, but then there's certain wrecks when it's just a parking lot, there's nowhere you can go. But on top of the pit box, you have to understand, you have to keep calling the race. I would call this thing like a repaid. I would do everything I could do to have track position, Parker. The last thing I would do is look at you and be like, hey, man. Sorry, you're last, but you need to go get us some position near the end. Right? But, but here's four tires. We buried Good the luck. lead, though. We buried yeah. the lead. What's we that? don't have to wait till Sunday because you're going to run two races on Saturday. That's you're right. going to run truck and Xfinity, right. and then you're going to tell me what it's like out I'll there. I'll have a little experience out there. You know, I've already got a little bit of experience, and, and I like where you went with that because, you know, there's no form of racing I can think of that you watch more tape for than super speedway racing, and you do it because. There's incredible skill involved in, as you mentioned, when you get to that position of being there in the final lap or final couple laps, the moves you make, the things you've done to put yourself in that position to make that final move, those are skill. That's homework. That's doing all that work behind the scenes to know how these moves are going to be created, to, to reading your competitors throughout the race, to you know, doing the work through the race to understand what moves will and won't work and when they'll work. It's, it's adding all of this up in real time and applying it in a split second that makes a difference between when you're losing. And that's why you see certain drivers are more prolific at it than others. And so, yes, there's an element of chaos and uh, you know, things you can't control. But for the ones that are really successful, and this goes for the playoff drivers especially, the ones that will come out of there thinking, man, I really nailed that. They'll have done their homework. They'll have had a little bit of luck in avoiding certain situations that probably were out of their control. But then when they were put in position – They'll use all of that information and everything they've gleaned through the whole race and apply it perfectly. And that's when you are successful. And for the super speed races I've won or been successful at, I walk out of them and I think, you know, I learned these certain things during the race. I knew this certain stuff before the race. And in that one moment, there was that one move I made, whether it was the last lap or the two laps ago, where I think, that was it. I applied it all there in that one moment, and that put me in position to win at a super speedway. And I just think that's something that's lost in so many fans. And so... I love this form of racing because I think, you know, we talk often like maybe they like to say it's a crapshoot and that sort of stuff. But I think the driver has such a role to play in this racing. I love talking to, to drivers who are super good at it, like a Dale Earnhardt Jr. or a Joey Logano, because I just love listening to what their thought process is because it's such a mental form of racing that I don't think you can really experience anywhere else. But well, I agree with both of you guys that there is skill involved because it's not an accident that we always see the same guys tend to race yeah. up front or finish up front. It still comes down to you can do everything right for three plus hours, 500 miles, and still have it not matter, right? I mean, that still is hanging over your head despite all the prep that you can do that Parker's ta- talking about, all the homework. But, but you know what that does? There. 
We talk a lot about the race and a lot about the drivers, but what you just described, that's what makes Talladega a destination. <laughs> I mean, we're going to go down there, and I hope it's like some of the races we've seen. Pocono was electric. Infield packed. Michigan slammed. Not a sliver, not a spot to put one more rental car. I hope we go to Talladega. I hope Talladega Boulevard is out of control on Saturday night. I hope the infield is a slammed with fans. They've redone the tower there. And I will tell you, Nate, when you stand in the booth at Talladega and Chase Elliott takes the lead or Kyle Busch wrecks or, you know, and the fan reaction there is as intense as anywhere we go. Um, and I don't want 36 races of what you just described because <laughs> I don't think it's fair to the talent and the teams and the drivers because there is so much out of your control. But this one's been on the schedule all year. Yeah. This one's been on the schedule all playoff. We loaded all those playoff cars up to go to Texas, and this was the next race. And yet they let Tyler Reddick, a non-playoff driver, win this race. So, so it's kind of one of them go back to our fair conversation. Whatever happens at Talladega, that's fair. Welcome to sports. Go to Steve, the Roval. I, I just hope to be out there on the boulevard with you Saturday night celebrating <laughs> two wins, drinking some spike Coors, you know, and maybe things will be a little hazy in the morning, so, but we'll get past it for the broadcast. Don't worry. We'll get through it. We got, we got ways to hydrate post that I'm sort not of thing. going to the boulevard, but if you win two races, we'll go to the boulevard. I'll right, make an exception. If deal, you go two deal. for two on Saturday, I'm holding that's to a trip that. to the I'm boulevard. I'm holding you to that. But, you know, one other thing I think that's really – a key here, and I know we just asked Christopher Bell about it, but I've been hearing this from so many drivers this year about this next-gen car in terms of super speedway racing, is that track position has become like a dogfight. Like, you want to hold on to it at all costs. And you mentioned it with your strategy. Well, for the driver, that means no longer am I going to think that at some point I'm going to put myself in fifth or sixth or seventh. It's going to get up to the top lane. I can just ride there, chill out, take it easy. It's like, no. I need to keep this track position. If I get moved out of the predominant lane, I got to get in the better lane. If it's the top lane, I got to be there. If it's the bottom lane, I'm going down there. And if there's a car leading that seems to be the one that's creating most of the speed, I'm going with them. It's the sort of thing where we saw these last few super speed races with this car. There's a lot more racing happening throughout the entirety of the event and not so much riding because I think the drivers and the teams have learned you got to have track decision. you got to stay up front and try and do everything you can to be up front because you're not going to go from 30th to 1st in three laps. It's just not going to happen unless there's some massive calamity. So if all the cars are running straight, keep the track decision. I think that just ratchets up the pressure and ratchets up what you have to do as a driver every lap to keep yourself up there up front. Yeah, be a ton of pressure, probably a ton of chaos, a lot of unpredictability. A lot like the uh, 2022 playoffs. When we come back, NASCAR America Motor Mouse, we'll talk about how wild these playoffs have been, kind of reflective of the track that they're going. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. To this weekend. Hey, I'm Travis Pastrana, 11-time X Games gold medalist and founder of Nitro Circus. And now we are bringing the most action-packed motorsport and all of racing straight to your living room. Nitro Rallycross. Cars that fly, tracks that thrill. This should be good. This could be good. Do not want to miss all the door-to-door action that you're going to see. We've never seen racing like this before. 
Do not miss Nitro Rallycross coming back to the USA, streaming live on Peacock. Oh yeah! Here comes Jack Willoughby, he's the Aussie, it's Miller Magic in Matagi! Alexis Bargro at the end of the warm lap, a disaster for the Spaniard. Marquez is fourth from pole. Here comes Fabio Quattamara on the inside. Marquez knows it's coming. He can't stop it. It's the comeback. The checkered flag is He's coming. He wins in Thailand. There you have it. MotoGP in Thailand on Sunday, 1.30 on CNBC. You got Dale Jr. download, Chris Buescher tomorrow night on Peacock. Race for the championship tomorrow night. And Cup Series and Xfinity Series. And as we saw, also, Travis Pastrana's Nitro Rallycross returns. So, it's still Chris, too, by the way. Chris. Chris Buescher. He, although he's selling Christopher T-shirts, so maybe he's Christopher. So, unfortunately. He has to win a second race, as Christopher, as you put it, to, to there you continue. Go. I agree. I like Even that. if he does, unfortunately, he's not going to be part of this discussion. Because now we're talking playoff drivers. We're talking Talladega Super Speedway. And we're talking about drivers who should be nervous. And you had just threw out an interesting word in CB. Uh, you think Chase Elliott. Should be nervous. Well, yeah, so look, look, Joe Logano, Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, Blaney, they are what they are. They're plus 22. They're going to go down there and try to score some more points. Let's look at the right side, right? I think the tale of two drivers, Chase Elliott at plus 11, there's no way he could be going to Talladega feeling great about it. No matter how well he runs there, he's too close to the line after an issue at Texas. He would be rather going somewhere that he has more control. Go to the Roval first, maybe Talladega next. That would be better. Flip it. Austin Centric at minus seven. Parker, he's in the playoffs because he won the Daytona 500. Yep. If he isn't heading to Talladega thinking this is his moment, this chance, this is the time for the two car to shine, then in my opinion, he's going with the wrong attitude. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a little bit who's looking forward to Talladega and who's afraid. I'm going to add another one in that category. How about Alex Bowman down there? Minus 26. Like, was it, you know, for him, chaos, the best thing possible, right? For him, it's, it's a couple playoff drivers getting caught up that allows him to not be caught up in that and vault forward with tons of points, right? Um, I just think you look at that 48 card and you think, like, hey, they've got to be thinking, actually, in our position, this is a benefit going to Talladega as opposed to his teammate Chase Elliott, as you mentioned, who would probably be like, uh, this is not the best situation. I also look at what I think is an intriguing thought, which is Joey Logano, plus 37. So how do you – that's a guy that thinks about super speedway racing in a way where he thinks, I want to be the leader of every lap. I want to be up front. I want to be aggressive. That's how I do best. But lately he has just told me that he feels like he's getting wrecked all the time. So how does he approach this race, plus 37, but in that with a mentality that's always been, I want to be up front? Well, listen, at plus 37, I would be – this might sound silly – I would be the aggressor and let the chips fall because let, let's just see what's available for him, right? Say he could win both stages, right? If he wins both stages, he, he's almost mathematically through. Like, like, I think if plus 37, you're, you can't worry about it at right. this point. You've right. done your work. You did what right. you needed it's to solved. do. Quick predictions, uh, starting with you. I'm going another non-playoff guy to victory lane. You Ooh. can pick which one. Okay. There's a whole stack of them. <laughs> All right. There's a bunch. Parker, who you got? Blaney. Blaney. Okay, I like that. That would be my pick, too. He's won two of the last six at Talladega. So, Ryan Blaney for me as well. Talladega, 4 p.m. Eastern, Sunday, USA, Thanks for, or NBC. Thanks for watching. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 